Today's reading is Matthew 13, 31 through 33. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until, until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in a series at the moment about the kingdom of God about God's kingdom, which, as Lou has been talking to us the last few weeks, when we read the word, the phrase kingdom of God in the Bible, it's really about God's active rule, God's active rule. Um, And both it's this sense of God restoring his original design from creation, uh, his presence coming amongst us, and, and alongside that, there's also a sense of the judgment of the nations that comes in as well, but that we have an awareness of the end of this age will come about, and there'll be a new and better age to come, the fullness of the age to come, uh, we will experience. Uh, Jesus uh, talks about this all the way through his ministry, again, as Lou's uh, read uh, from the very beginning. You read in Mark's gospel, with the first words on Jesus' lips, Mark 1.15, it says, um, uh, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. So he's saying God's kingdom is, is breaking out amongst us and we need to have a response to that. And what's interesting is that Jesus is saying, actually, the, the kingdom of God is being established through his very person, through who he is. There's something about Jesus that brings the active rule of God to bear into every situation where he goes. And what's more is that the followers of Jesus, people who who are his disciples, is the Bible word for it, you know, disciple simply means someone who hears and obeys. So any of us who would follow Jesus, people who, if we hear and obey Jesus, we get to, like Jesus, we carry on his task of of bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. So like Jesus brings the active rule of God wherever he goes, we bring the active rule of God wherever we go. That's that's part of... um, our calling if we're a follower of Jesus. And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't just leave us alone to do that. He gives us his authority and his power. So we don't do it in our own strength or our own cleverness, but he gives us his authority. He says all authority has been given to him. He's the one with all power, and he gives it generously and abundantly to us um, so that we can proclaim and we can demonstrate God's kingdom. Now, I wanted to think of a way to, to, to set this all out for you, so I'm going to draw you a picture. We're going to try a little experiment, um, which hopefully will um, live cast onto the big screen behind me. So, the green line here we're going to draw uh, represents uh, God's kingdom, and we're going to start by this in the very beginning of the Bible. So, this is Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 the creation narrative, and where humanity is built, and we're fully aware of God's presence. We have a full-on relationship with him. There's no inhibition, no barrier between us and God. Um, God's active rule is all around us, and we're fully embracing, fully part of that, uh, and uh, we get to serve him in that. But then as we know, Genesis uh, 3 onwards, uh, whoops, sorry, Um, I've just, there we go. 
Press the wrong button on here. Come on. So then Genesis chapter 3, the fall happens. And we tumble down into this pit. And we're now stuck in uh, what the Bible talks about. Um, it's the rule of this present age, which is under the control of the enemy. And so uh, hum- humanity is kind of cast down to this low place here where we're stuck. And um, we see... Okay, we'll draw. Okay. Boy and a girl there. So, um, uh, and what happens is, God's kingdom continues, but we only get to see occasional glimpses of it carrying on up there. And we spend most of our time stuck down in this world where God's kingdom feels a long, long way above us. And it's like we can get glimpses, but we can't fully embrace it. And we feel separated and, and cut off from God uh, for much of the time. And, and, and we love the idea of God's active rule, but how do I fully uh, get hold of that in my own life? And so, so we're stuck in this situation where um, we need God to come and... Sorry, it's messing up here. Okay. So we'll do that. Sorry, on my pad. So we're stuck in a situation where we need God to come and to intervene. And of course, he does that by the cross. Jesus comes and he does many things for us in our life. But one of the most significant things he's doing there is the active ongoing rule of God is reestablished fully around us here on earth and in our lives. And um, we know then that one day Jesus is going to come back again for a second time. And this present world, this present, uh, that, that black line at the bottom, which has been the rebellious rule of the enemy, um, is fully dealt with and is taken away. So it's like the first part, so that, that what Jesus does on the cross is fully enforced and is fully lived out, fully encapsulated uh, at the second coming of Christ. And so for us now, that means that we live in this in-between time which is characterized by battle. It's characterized by battle. Uh, we're looking forward to the end and to eternity, which here is Revelation 21 and 22, paints, paints that picture for us. Going forwards, there's an arrow there going forwards into eternity. But we're in this in-between time right now uh, where we're seeing uh, God's rule extended let me draw it like this for you it's like his kingdom is advancing and it's doing all sorts of interesting stuff the enemy tries to push back but we know ultimately Jesus is winning his his kingdom is forcefully advancing but we're in this time of battle this in-between phase where the cross has happened, where we know what the final outcome is going to be, but we haven't been able to fully take hold of every aspect of that. Uh, the analogy that's been used by some theologians is, that, is what happened uh, towards the end of World War II. And so you have um, the difference between D-Day and uh, VE Day. So uh, as you know, D-Day, June 6, 1944, the Allies land in Normandy, and they take this bridgehead on Nazi-occupied territory, and then from then point on, they were able to roll forward. And all the military strategists knew that the Allies were going to win. It, was, it wasn't in doubt once, once they had that bridgehead. And so it rolled forward. But it took another 11 months for the final victory to be enforced, for the, for the final hold the enemy to be broken, for that evil kingdom to come to a final end. 
And what's interesting is that during that 11-month period, the, the battle zone that you've got here on this picture, uh, that was where the fiercest fighting took place. That was where there was the highest number of casualties amongst the Allied forces. And when we hear about those stories of the men, mostly men and women who died at that time, we don't look at them as failures. We don't go, oh, they're a bunch of losers, or anything like that. We look at them and go, they died as war heroes. And we honor their memory. And if you go to France, we've done with the boys, you can go to the, 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 the war cemeteries and see, see that there. And, uh, and that would be, the, if you had relatives in your family who, who fought and died in, in, in that phase of the war, you would remember them as heroes. And so, in some ways, there's, there's a picture there which we get to see as well, which is we're in this in-between time. The uh, forces of goodness have come through Christ, through the cross. Uh, we know that the ultimate victory will take place at the second coming of Christ. The enemy's kingdom will ultimately end. We're in this in-between battle zone. And we fight, and sometimes it feels like it's great breakthrough. Sometimes it feels like there's great opposition. Um, sometimes, um, you know, people die. There's like loss and death along the way, but that's not failure. As people die as war heroes, and so we have this picture of what Jesus is doing with his active rule. And there's this sense. If you're going to write uh, one other phrase uh, up here on this picture, uh, you would say the kingdom of God is both now but it's also not yet. It's the now and the not yet of the kingdom that we wrestle with, we live with. So how do we um, process that? What I want to encourage you not to do, don't have a Star Trek theology. Remember Star Trek show? Maybe it's okay. So do not have a Star Trek theology. Let me um, try and explain that for you. What I've observed is that quite a lot of Christians have a very diminished understanding of the gospel, of of, of the good news about Jesus. Uh, And so what they do is they will say, they will boil down following Jesus and the gospel to, um, it's just about forgiveness of sins. Now, don't get me wrong, um, salvation, in other words, us being saved from the consequences of our sins, because Jesus comes and dies on the cross, he deals with the consequences of our sin. It's absolutely wonderful and vital and important, and we desperately need that. If you have not confessed your sins to Jesus and asked him to forgive you, I'd, with the strongest way possible, I'd urge you to do that. Um, and so salvation is an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus. But too often I see people saying, that is the gospel, that is, the, that is all it means to be to be a Christian. And that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that whilst that's wonderfully important, we actually, Jesus talks about a gospel of the kingdom, uh, for instance, Mark 9.35. In other words, salvation is vital, but it is unto something. Jesus has saved us, not just so that we get to go to heaven when we die, kind of like a free fire insurance policy. Um, that was a joke, by the way, um, in case you were looking very serious there. Uh, but also, he actually saves us so that we can join him in advancing his kingdom. Yeah, he wants to save us from our sins. Yes, it's, it's incredibly vital that we have our relationship with God our Father restored. And that's beautiful and a wonderful thing. But he's also saving us so that you and I can make a difference wherever we go, wherever he places us, in every situation, wherever we work, live, and play. You know, Jesus is coming back but we're not just to be the people who sit here 
holding on desperately, trying to keep our necks above the, water, the rising flood and saying, Scotty, be me out of here, which is Star Trek theology, the kind of theology that says, I'm just going to hang on until somehow God zaps me out of here and the rest of it goes to hell in a handbasket. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus saves us both because, you know, he loves us and he's absolutely passionate for our hearts and us to have a restored relationship with God our Father. But he saves us equally and also so that we can be extenders of God's kingdom wherever we go. And that's where this story about seeds and yeast come into play. You can take that picture down if you want. So I'll reread it again for us here. So we, we heard this read. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then we heard about the yeast. The yeast, or, or the leaven, is it, the pictures of a woman who took and, uh, and hid in three measures of flour. Three measures of flour is about 60 pounds of flour. So it's an enormous quantity of flour. Uh, and until it was all over, until the yeast had worked its way through the whole thing. So let's look at those two terms there very quickly. Mustard, first of all. Um, quick survey. All right. Uh, imagine we, we were said, we haven't done this, but imagine we were giving out free hot dogs this morning, or burgers, and, and we've pre-prepared them, and one pile is hot dogs with uh, tomato ketchup, the other pile is hot dogs of mustard. You can choose one or the other. It's a binary system. Raise a hand if you'd pick ketchup with your hot dog. Okay, you can have one or the other. Okay, raise your hand if you'd pick mustard. Okay, I think it's more mustardy than ketchup. Just a little survey there. Uh, I agree if you think yeah, I'd, I'd do that as well. But, you know, mustard is something which we all uh, understand. Uh, we have that in our lives. And it starts out as a teeny tiny seed, doesn't it? You'll have seen it in the posher mustard brands. Uh, it's a very small thing. And yet, if you plant it, it can grow into a big shrubby tree in the Middle East around uh, where Jesus would have been walking and teaching and stuff, say around Lake Galilee, they were eight, ten-foot-tall, big, shrubby trees that grew from just one tiny little seed. And everyone knew in that culture that mustard was something which spread very easily and it would take over. In fact, Jews were forbidden to plant them in their backyards because uh, the the mustard seed would take over and and change that whole environment. And so the, the analogy Jesus gives us here is that God's kingdom is highly invasive. God's kingdom is highly invasive. It may look like tough ground. You may go, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things I've had the privilege of doing is working in different churches in different cities. Every city I go to, someone always tells me that this is an especially hard city to be a Christian in. Happens every single time. Okay? And it may or may not be true, but the point Jesus wants to give us faith for is that his kingdom, he says, my kingdom's really invasive. So don't you worry if you feel like your place is a tough place, because I'm invasive. Here's the second picture that, that of leaven or yeast. Um, any bakers here, by the way? Raise a hand if you've got any bakers here. Must have more than that. Few. Okay, anyone like making cakes for English-speaking pastors? Just raise a hand. It's very... <laughs> okay. So yeast is something which obviously we're aware uh, it's something which, if you take a flour and, uh, or the dough and you mix it in, it will cause the dough to rise if you, if you do it in the right way. And it causes it to, to expand. Uh, even in a vast quantity, so this, this passage here has this enormous quantity of flour. I mean, 60 pounds is way, way more 
uh, than, than you, any normal person would have for their household. So it's an extreme picture that's being painted here. And what it's showing is that even with an enormous pile of flour, a little bit of yeast can transform it. And so what we're being taught here is that the kingdom of God has a trans, is a transforming culture. It's a transforming culture. And again, if you think about that workplace of yours, your neighborhood, or that extended family, or whatever it is, God's kingdom is a transforming culture. It can change everything about that huge pile of flour that, where you find yourself in life. God can transform anything. The kingdom of God seems to start very small. It seems to start invisible or insignificant. And yet it can take over and it can transform. Now, if I'm honest, I've struggled with that sometimes. But have you ever been in a situation where you're looking at a, a, a place where you are, a group of friends or a sports team you're part of or a neighborhood, uh, and you kind of, in your prayer press, something like, God, would you please send in overwhelming force and uh, take over here? Anyone ever prayed a prayer a bit like that? You kind of like, you're saying, God, would you please just come storming in with the tanks and, and take over here? And, um, you know, I'm not saying that's a sinful thing to pray, but when we look at the Bible, we look at the picture of it being given here, is that God doesn't seem to come steamrollering in. And actually what he likes to do is to create room for a partnership with you and me. God wants to partner with you and me in extending his kingdom. Uh, again, earlier in that picture, we, we talked about Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22, which are like the bookends of the Bible, but are vital because they help us understand everything in between. And uh, one of the things we see there is that the kingdom works a bit like uh, the pattern we see in creation. So in creation, you have this sense of God giving humanity the ability to, to take seeds and to plant and to cultivate and to shape. And at the end, in Revelation 21 and 22, you get a glimpse of what humanity's done. So Genesis 1 and 2 starts with a garden. Uh, Revelation 21 and 22 is a city of gardens. And it's kind of like you see this pattern of what humanity, with God's good creation, together in partnership, we can achieve together. Many Christians don't understand that how God wants us to partner with him in extending his kingdom. Um, I, think, I think too often we have, um, we have a Hollywood view of our theology. So Hollywood basically paints everything in terms of goodies versus baddies. All right, to use complex words there for us. So it's goodies versus baddies. And it's like we think, when I, th when I have decisions to make in life, Hollywood would paint it as what's the right or what's the wrong thing? What's black and what's white? Goodies versus baddies. Um, and we tend to kind of think like that when, when we talk with God about decisions in our life. So um, when we moved out to California from Ohio, you know, we, we, we were in Ohio, we knew a change was coming. But there, there was, we had to fight the tendency to pray um, with a kind of a black and white perspective. You know, God, what is, is there only one right decision and everything else is wrong? And I think a lot of the time, it's not like that. I mean, clearly there's some black and white situations we shouldn't, things we clearly shouldn't do. But there's a lot of decisions we face in life, a lot of opportunities you may have, where it's not a, this is good and this is evil, 
It's like God might be saying to you, you know what, I don't mind, I'll be with you either way. I don't know if that sounds scary to you, but actually God wants us to grow up. You know, look at a parent with a child. My son, oldest son, Joel, he's on a gap here between school and college. He's been in Peru for three months serving with friends like that in a church planting situation and some shantytowns and stuff. So he comes back on Tuesday. Well, if Joel sits down on Wednesday and says, Dad, tell me everything I should do for the next year, it'd be kind of a bit weird. Um, Also, I'd be shocked that he'd say that. But anyway, that's the digression. Um, But he's not going to do that. Now, he's going to have conversation with us. You know, I'm thinking about this. Dad and Mum, what do you reckon? There's this idea. And we we might coach, we might nuance. I might say, well, have you thought about this angle or that perspective? Or how's that going to get paid for? Whatever. But part of him growing into adulthood is that he takes responsibility. So there's a conversation, there's a dialogue, but there's a maturity about us as well. And what we want to do is we want to hear, Joel, tell us your dreams. Tell us how you, what you've been thinking over the past few months. What would you love to do? Where do you have a sense of calling? Where, where are you connected? Where's the passion? Where's the desire? And I think God is like that with us so much of the time. And it's almost like we're afraid to recognize that. God, I think, a lot of the time with our decisions that we face, is basically wants to say, you know, go for it. I'll be with you either way. Jesus wants us to partner with him to actively extend the kingdom. But what he'll tend to do is he'll give us seeds rather than a fully formed tree. So we get some partnership. We get some shared ownership in this. See, it's a more nuanced view of how God's will and, and how we make decisions is, it, that's been painted here. Um, to, to illustrate this for you, I try to think about this. Uh, I think there's three postures that I see, I've seen in myself. I, I do this. I see this in other uh, people who are following Jesus. Three postures that people take um, in how we respond to God's call to join him in act, following his, extending his kingdom and, and how we make decisions with, with our time and our resources. And the three words I see are slaves, servants, and friends. Slaves, servants, and friends. So if someone, first of all, the slaves. If someone comes to God with a view that they're a slave, purely a slave, we think about what a slave is like. A slave is someone who's probably nowhere near the master. They don't know him. They don't really interact with him. All they do each day is they get up and they, they, they work through their to-do list. I just do the task that I'm told to do. Servants, second one. A servant is someone who has access to the master, but no independent voice. It's almost like your will or your wisdom don't come into your interactions with the master. Um, And I I can remember when I was uh, um, probably in my late teens and and trying to learn about how do I make decisions about life and, and going forward and different options I had. And, you know, there's this kind of real timidity I think, in order to make decisions. What if I get it wrong? What if I pick the wrong path? What if I pick the wrong college or, or whatever it is? And there was definitely times where I can remember God really kind of, almost like this frustrated voice of God, not that God gets frustrated, that's anthropomorphizing, uh, but God saying to me, just pick something. <laughs> just do something and get on with it and let's, we'll work from that situation. Um, you know, I think sometimes we come with this excessive um, fearfulness of, of, of thinking, well, I can't bring my own desires in here because this is God who I'm interacting with. 
And yet God's not like that. And so I want to encourage you to operate more with the third category, which is to be a friend, to be a friend of God. And a friend is someone who has authentic relationship. It's a, you have conversations, you have dialogue and interaction. In a, let's be clear, God's still God. He can interrupt at any point. He's always got that trump card he can play. He's allowed to do that because he's God. But, um, but, you know, he is very interested in what interests you. Strange to think that, isn't it? But you have all these kind of little unique, quirky passions and interests and people who, who amuse you and you like being with. And he's fascinated to hear about that. He really wants to help you bring his kingdom amongst those people in those situations. And yes, of course, we, we are slaves of Christ. We are servants of God. And, and we need to come with the, the humility and the recognition of our dependency upon God, those represent, absolutely. So I'm not saying it's false to think of, to use the picture of slaves and servants, but if we purely, my point is this, if we purely remain there, we miss out on so much. Jesus says these words, John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything, everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians 6.1, Paul writes this, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Did you, did you realize that you're God's co-worker? Did you know that? Have you thought about that? You're God's co-worker. In other words, even though he's Lord of everything and he could just click his fingers and make it happen, instead he chooses to self-limit himself and to invite us into partnership with him. He says, be my co-worker in your workplace. Be my co-worker with your family. Be my co-worker in your neighborhood or at your school. I want to use you. I want to partner with you. And then what he does is a little pause and he says, so where would you like to start? Fascinating, isn't it? Now, of course, at the same time, he, you know, we're going, well, Lord, we want to see what you're doing and we're looking for where the spirits are already at work. So there is this wonderful dance that we have with God. He takes initiative, but he also wants us to take humble initiative as well, and to communicate with him about our, our dreams and, and our passions and our desires. Jesus wants you to partner with him in expanding the kingdom of God, even if it only feels like you've got a mustard seed of faith that you can plant. Even if you get it's just teeny, I can barely see it, Lord, it's just somewhere in my palm of my hand. The light's right, I can just see it. He says, great, let's take that, let's think together about where we could plant this. Where would you like to plant this? It's my question for you. Where would you like to plant it? You've got, you've got some mustard seed in your hand. Represents God's kingdom. God's kingdom is invasive. God's kingdom is transformative. It's a transforming culture. And Jesus is saying to you, where would you like to plant it? Where would you like to plant it? And probably, probably, there's actually no wrong answer to that question. So where would you like to plant it? Where would you like to see Jesus' active rule completely transform some people, a situation, a context, a culture? Where would you like to see that happen? Because he can do that. And he wants to do it in partnership with you. So let's be the people who, who in a humble, godly way, we recognize that actually God 
trusts us. God trusts you, and he's willing to take a risk with you. You know what? He's actually okay if sometimes we mess things up as well. He, he, can quite, he can deal with failure. That's not an issue at all, because we will mess it up, by the way. Just so you know, FYI, he will stuff it up at times. That's okay. Because we'll learn from that. He'll pick us up, brush us down, say, okay, here's the learning. Great, got it. Let's move on. Let's try again. So let's be the people who, who, who have that degree of faith that the kingdom is at hand, that the kingdom starts off teeny tiny, but it brings transforming culture. It brings radical renewal. It, it invades and takes over. And God wants to do that through you.